Zalmana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 65. Thank you for joining me. Now, I don't know about you, but lately I felt as though my life is moving at the speed of light. I can't believe that I'm now on my 65th episode. I know I've said that before, but it just always amazes me. I also can't believe that my baby girl, who it seems like I just had yesterday, is now just starting first grade. And I also can't believe that my other baby, what feels like my very new, newborn baby, is now almost 10 months old. My baby boy. That's almost a year old. I can't believe it. I've just been so busy lately, and I look up, and before I know it, another year has passed, and I don't even know what happened. It's just crazy. Time just seems to move faster and faster the older that I get. It's so weird. Anyways, back on track. I have a really fun new episode in store for you today, but before I get going, I'd like to first announce the winner of last episode's drawing giveaway. Everyone who left a comment under the show notes of episode 64 was entered to win the two fabulous knitting books by Nikki Epstein, Knitting on the Edge and Knitting Beyond the Edge. I randomly chose a winner between the comments left, and I'm happy to announce that it is the knitter with the screen name of Garden Life from London, England, who will be receiving these books in the mail shortly. Congratulations! I will be in touch. Thank you to everyone who participated. Well, knitters, it's that time again. Can you feel it? It's the beginning of knitting season. The kids are in school. The weather will soon be cooling off again. It's the beginning of the cozy sweater weather. It's time to start planning our fall projects. This is without a doubt my very, very very favorite time of year. I love autumn for many reasons, but I'm especially excited to start putting my children in their hand-knit sweaters again. Now that my daughter is in school, I have this little knitterly fantasy of her sporting her hand-knits in the classroom. I have big sweater plans for her this year, and the great thing about knitting for my daughter is that she never grows. She is the tiniest little thing, She's six years old and wears mostly a size four still. And some of the things that she wears are as small as a size two or even 18 months. Yeah. I'm convinced that if I make her a sweater with extra long sleeves, she could probably wear it for the next five to 10 years. She is just such a petite little thing. My son, on the other hand, now that's a different story. He's practically grown out of all the hand-knit sweaters that I made for him before he was born. He actually only has one sweater left that actually really fits him, and that was knit for me by my sister-in-law. And that's the Rufus textured cardigan from the book Vintage Baby Knits. It's super adorable. So I'm going to be sure to put that one on him every chance I get while it still fits. And then, of course, there's always me. I always have sweater knitting fantasies for myself. 
I have a mental queue a hundred sweaters long of projects that I would love to make and wear. But these days, unfortunately, I really lack the time. And then there's the whole business of not quite being back to my old pre-pregnancy self. So I would hate to make myself something to fit me now. I would much rather have a new sweater to fit me when I actually get back to the right size. So that's also kind of holding me back from personal sweater knitting. But I'm hoping that once I finish this current design collection that I'm working on, I will be back to my normal size by then. And finally, I can indulge in some personal knitting projects. I really look forward to that. For now, however, I'm still working away on my design projects. I have nine designs now, either completed or in the process of being completed. So I feel like I'm on the last stretch. I wasn't sure at first, but I think I've decided to release this group of designs in another self-published book. All of these knits follow the same theme. I love them. They are so me. I've had a great time putting this together. I'm hoping that I'll have everything done and ready to release by this upcoming spring. If you have been following my blog, however, you may have noticed that I have a super exciting publishing project that I'm getting ready to release very shortly, sometime this fall, actually. And when I say exciting, I mean super exciting. This has been the most fun project I've ever worked on, and it's unlike anything I've ever done before. It's because currently I'm co-authoring another book, but this time I'm partnering with my six-year-old daughter. And together we've written a little children's story called Annie and the Swiss Cheese Scarf. And as you can probably gather from the title, it's a children's story about learning to knit. I am also working with Nisha Hudson, who is a super awesome illustrator. And if you're familiar with our book, Coastal Knits, you'll see Nisha's illustrations in there. She did illustrations throughout the book, as well as the schematic drawings. She's really talented. So that's been fun. It's one thing just to write a little story, but then when you get it illustrated, it just comes to life. I love what she's done with the characters. It's been really fun watching it grow. I've always looked for ways to involve my daughter in what I do, and this has been such an exciting process to share with her. The main character, Annie, is drawn in the likeness of my daughter, which of course is so fun because my daughter feels like in a small way she gets to star in her very own children's story. If I had that opportunity to have a storybook character modeled after me when I was a child, wow, that would have been so cool. So I'm really happy to be able to do this for her. And she, of course, is super excited too. I'm quite certain her little friends at school are just a little bit sick of hearing about it by now. The story of Annie learning to knit is fictional, but it was inspired by the experiences I've had of teaching my daughter as well as several of her friends, and lots of other children to knit over the years. I've taught more children to knit than I can even count. When I worked at the yarn shop, in fact, one summer I even hosted a summer knitting workshop just for kids, and I taught a rotating group of children all summer long. And something that always surprises and impresses me is how fast 
children can pick up knitting. Those little fingers are nimble and their minds are ready to learn. This may be surprising, but I've actually always found it easier to teach a child to knit over an adult. The challenging thing about teaching children, however, is their short attention span. I've often found that not only do they want instant results, but they don't want to take the time to practice or invest the time to actually make a usable item. Even my daughter, who knits very well on her own now, she's always stopping and counting her rows over and over again and asking me, Mom, how many more rows until this is a scarf? And I look at her work, which is usually, at that point, about two inches long, and I don't have the heart to tell her the real number. I'm pretty sure it might be discouraging to a six-year-old to say, Hmm, well, hmm, let's see here, maybe like 100, 200 rows or so. Yeah, I don't know if she'd like that. I think we'll stick with doll scarves for now. So, with these experiences in mind, I put together this little story with the help of my daughter with the purpose of not only getting children interested in knitting, which, of course, I really want to do, but also to teach the lesson of perseverance. What I like about this story is that the main character, Annie, learns to exercise patience and overcome hurdles to learn something new, even though it's challenging. In the end, she's rewarded for sticking with it and feels proud of what she's accomplished. And I think that this is a very good lesson for children today. Whether the skill is knitting, learning to play an instrument, or even something relatively basic, like learning to read. In today's technological age of YouTube, iPods, iPads, iPhones, Angry Birds, and Nintendo Wii, children have to expend practically zero energy to be entertained. And there's little opportunity in their everyday lives to learn the lesson of patience. And because of this, their little attention spans seem to be growing shorter and shorter. For example, recently, I had a very sweet 11-year-old girl over to the house to help me with the kids during the day. And while she was over and we were visiting, I asked her the typical mom questions. How's school going? What do you like to do in your spare time? When the subject of books came up, I asked her if she was reading any good books. She replied interestingly enough, Oh, I don't really read books. I, I don't have the attention span for that. I just like to play on the computer. Well, at least she's honest. I thought that that response was pretty telling. Now, of course, not all children feel this way, but I do think it's a growing trend. So I feel that this new children's story accomplishes two things. It encourages virtues such as perseverance and patience, and also, more importantly, of course, the love of knitting. Because, you know, let's get our priorities straight here. As a knitter myself, I've always wanted to teach my children to knit, even before I had children. I'm sure that many of you listening feel that way. And I think that many knitters feel this way because knitting was passed down to many of us from our mothers, from our grandmothers. So I think that it's important that this very rewarding and special skill 
is passed down to our children as well. I think that anything that we can do to encourage children to not only learn how to make things with their own hands, but also to have them make something that at the end they feel good about themselves and accomplished. I think that that's a very good thing. Like I mentioned before, the story of Annie was made up, even of course the name, because my daughter isn't really named Annie, in case some of you are wondering. But I will say that elements of the story are based on our actual lives. If you followed my blog or my podcast for a number of years, or if you know me personally, you'll find little hints of never not knitting and inside jokes running through the pages. It's been a very special and meaningful project for us as a family. I'm looking to open up pre-orders for the book within the next few months. I have lots of extra surprises in store for you as well, so you can look forward to that. In the meantime, however, I hope that you'll please visit our new website. It's AnnieCanKnit.com, and on the website you can enter to win a copy of the book when it's released. So please stop by and visit, and you'll also see a little illustration of the main character, Annie, too, which is really cute. But that's not it. I have even more exciting news. This is such an exciting episode. Here's a trivia question for you. What was I doing this time last year? Well, I was pregnant, but also... It's been almost an entire year since we released the book Coastal Knits, my very first foray into self-publishing. And might I add, what an absolutely rewarding whirlwind experience that has been. Hannah and I again would love to thank the knitting community for your continued support for our book. And to celebrate our one-year Coastal Knits anniversary, we will shortly be coming out with some exciting new options. We will soon be offering Coastal Knits in an ebook format, as well as PDF downloads of all of the individual patterns. And if you purchased the printed version of Coastal Knits in the past from our Coastal Knits website, and now you'd like the ebook as well, these customers from our website are eligible to purchase it at a significant discount. We know that many knitters have been requesting digital versions for quite a while, and now that everyone and their mother owns an iPad, we feel that it was about time. So please check back on our blogs, our Coastal Knits website at coastalknits.com, or in the Coastal Knits Ravelry group to find out when all of these new editions will be ready. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email Hannah and I at info at coastalknits.com. So for this episode, I have a great new book to share with all of you, entitled The Knitter's Curiosity Cabinet by the talented designer Hunter Hammerson. This book contains 20 accessory patterns that have been inspired by lovely vintage flower illustrations. And as you flip through the book, you can see how she cleverly worked the shapes and lines of the flowers into the actual stitch patterns. And this is totally my style. Completely my style of knitting. 
Not only do I love textured stitch patterns like this, but as you probably already know, I too love to design with botanical elements as my inspiration. So I really have an appreciation for the designs in this book. My absolute hands down favorite pattern are the socks featured on the cover. They're the chrysanthemum frutensin socks, I believe, I hope. The stitch pattern on these is seriously stunning. It just has a lovely flowery look to it and a pico edge on the top. I would love to knit these for myself and I hope I get the chance to someday. In the show notes, I'll be sure to post a link to the picture. So, so if you like to knit socks, this is not a pattern to be missed. Now, if you're wondering what all of this has to do with a curiosity cabinet, I feel that Hunter explains the thought behind this very well in the book introduction. So I thought I'd share that with you. She writes, There are rocks in the trunk of my car right now. Probably a few sticks, too. The odd seashell or pine cone isn't out of the question either. And it doesn't stop with my car. My husband's car falls prey to my magpie tendencies, too, as does any suitcase that accompanies me on a trip. This isn't a new development. I've been picking up pebbles and arrowheads and fossils and whatever else that catches my eye for as long as I can remember. So perhaps it's no surprise that when I first learned of curiosity cabinets, I felt an instant spark of recognition and understanding. Apparently, I'm not the only one fascinated by the array of things the world has to offer, nor the only one subject to a bit of a collecting urge. It turns out there's a long history of assembling collections of personal treasures. I'm in good company. A little while ago, the idea of a knitter's curiosity cabinet took hold of my imagination and simply refused to let go. The thought of assembling a collection, not of rocks and seeds and fossils, but of fancy edgings and captivating stitch patterns and fabulous shapes was just too good to ignore. This book is the result. Each of the patterns was inspired by, and named after, a vintage botanical illustration. Illustrations were one of the ways people documented and shared contents of their curiosity cabinets. I designed two patterns from each of the prints one for a pair of socks, and one for something else entirely. Each project offers something special, and I hope it will catch your eye and inspire you to add to your own collection. So, there you have it. I hope that all of you listening will check out Hunter's new book, and I'd like to add that this is a self-published book. And as I know how much work it is to self-publish, I'm very happy to lend my support to other knitters who take on this monumental task. You can find out more about the Knitter's Curiosity Cabinet by visiting the book's website at knitterscuriositycabinet.com. Additionally, you can purchase the book off of the website, on Amazon, or at your local yarn shop. And you can enter to win a signed copy by leaving a comment on my blog under the show notes for this episode. And you can find my blog at nevernotknitting.com. Dot com. And please enter your comment by September 15th. I will be announcing the winner on the next episode. Now I have a little treat for you. This episode's personal knitting story was contributed by none other than Hunter Hammerson herself. If you, like me, like to know how designers and knitters get their start, you'll love her story, entitled 
the expert knitter. I was in college when I decided to learn how to knit. It was the winter of 2001 and I needed a hobby. I'd always been a crafty kid. My room had been full of beads and paper and string and scissors and glue and all manner of half-finished projects. But I hadn't taken any of that to school with me and I missed it. Knitting seemed like the perfect answer. It didn't require much in the way of equipment. It wasn't horribly expensive. It didn't make a lot of noise and it wasn't likely to generate any disgusting smells. It seemed like the perfect thing to do in a dorm. So I bought a book, I bought some needles, and I bought some yarn. I figured out how to knit, I figured out how to purl, and then I went a little crazy. You see, the book had said, everything is based on knit and purl. Once you've got those down, you're all set. The problem is, I believed the book. I figured, I could knit, I could purl, so obviously I was now an expert knitter. It's time to start my first real project. Now because I was such an expert, I ignored all those books with beginner or easy or quick in the titles. I wanted a real project. I bought Elspeth Levold's book of Viking knitting patterns. It's full of lovely intricate cables. Now don't get me wrong, this is an absolutely great book. I have it on my shelf, and I would still wear some of those sweaters. It's not a book for a beginning knitter. But I, I wasn't a beginner. I was an expert. Now granted, I didn't know how to increase or decrease. So I thought, I'll do a scarf. A scarf's just a glorified rectangle. It seemed safe enough. So I picked out my favorite cable pattern. Or rather, I picked out my favorite cable pattern that didn't have any of those pesky increases and decreases. I got some more yarn, I got some more needles, and I started knitting. There are two things you should probably know at this point. First, the yarn. It was a dark blue, nubbly acrylic. Cables don't show up on a dark blue, nubbly acrylic. Second, that section in the book that talks about gauge, yeah, that didn't make any sense to me, so I just ignored it. I picked needles to match the yarn. And when I say match the yarn, I mean match the color of the yarn. As in the yarn was blue, so I got blue needles. The resulting knitting resembled a cinder block. It's the densest fabric I've ever seen. I got about six inches into the scarf and decided knitting was horrible. If an expert like me was having such a wretched time of it, it must be the stupidest hobby ever. I packed everything away and vowed never to do it again. But something must have stuck in my head. A couple of years later, I felt the urge to try again. Now you actually have to blame Nitty for this. You see, despite having declared that knitting was the stupidest hobby ever, I still somehow found myself looking at each new issue of Nitty. And in the spring of 2005, something caught my eye. It was the branching out scarf. Now here's something else you should probably know. One of the many reasons I had abandoned my scarf at only six inches in is that the yarn broke. I thought this meant I would have to start all over again. I couldn't bear the idea of doing all of that horrible, wretched knitting over. The idea of joining on a new ball of yarn never occurred to me. But branching out, 
Branching out was lace. Lace weight yarn comes in huge, long skeins. This had potential. You wouldn't ever run out of yarn. But I didn't actually want something as light as what lace weight yarn would give me. So I decided I would work with four strands of yarn held together. Can I mention here that I didn't know what a swift or a ball winder was? I just untwisted each of the hanks, unwrapped 10 yards or so of yarn, twisted the hanks back up, smoothed the four strands of yarn together, and knit with them. Over and over and over again. This was exactly as much fun as it sounds. I'll leave the tangles to your imagination, but please do be sure to include an awful lot of unladylike language while you think about it. I did eventually finish the scarf, and I learned how to increase and decrease along the way, but once again, I decided that knitting left something to be desired and put it away. Until about the fall of 2007. That's when I started thinking about knitted socks. I'd seen sock yarn. It came in tidy little pre-wound balls. These balls were just the right size to make one sock. This seemed like the solution to all of my problems. I bought some yarn. I bought some needles. I made a pair of socks. And I was absolutely smitten. I've never really looked back. In 2008, I realized I could make up my own patterns. You see, I'm kind of bad at following directions and much prefer to make it up as I go along. This suited me much better. In 2009, I realized I could tell other people about the patterns I was making up and thus indulge my bossy streak. In 2010, I started writing the first book. And then sometime last year, I found myself answering the question, so what do you do for a living? By saying, yeah, so I write knitting books. It's been kind of a strange sort of adventure and it's not ever what I thought I'd be doing but I'm having a great time. Thank you again, Hunter, so much for sharing your story with us. If you listening have a story that you would like to share on the podcast sometime, please get in touch. You can always email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. I would love to have you send me your five-minute story recording And in turn, I will send you a personal knitting gift through the mail as a thank you. Well, everyone, that's about it for episode 65. Again, I really appreciate you joining me, and I hope that you'll join me again for episode 66 at the end of September. Happy knitting! She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clickin' From morning until she goes to bed She won't take the time to brush her teeth Let's not even talk about her hair If it isn't about knitting She just doesn't really care Never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, 
and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Nobody has clean laundry. No pants, no shirts, no underwear. But they have closets full of sweaters and more socks than they could ever wear. There's yard in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. Even in the washer and dryer That's why She can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making Her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors Say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Call 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching. And, well, she's losing all she had.